I would say, you know, I would say that being kind to everyone has, like, really pays off. And I would also stress the importance of humor. Uh, humor as a delivery mechanism for truth and humor as a way to get through some tough times in life. I mean, it's just really important that you, 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 know, you develop your sense of humor. Um, I just think it's, it's not just a good, good coping mechanism, it's also just a great, like I said, uh, I, I think it's like the secret delivery mechanism for truth because when you really, when you really want to know somebody, um, humor, humor is a good way to go. From sunny California, welcome to the Vision of the People podcast, a show about visionaries from various industries who share their inspiring stories and give advice to people wanting to make an impact on the world. As always, I'm your host, Arushi, like sushi with an R, and on today's episode, we have Biz Stone, who's an American entrepreneur and co-founder of Twitter, Medium, Jelly, and Obvious Corporation. A progenitor of social media, Stone has been developing large-scale systems that facilitate the open exchange of information for more than 15 years. He also holds a patent with Jack Dorsey. Today, he's back at Twitter after his company Jelly got acquired by Pinterest. Stone has been honored with the International Center for Journalism Innovation Award, Inc. Magazine named him Entrepreneur of the Decade, Time listed him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world, and GQ named him Nerd of the Year. In 2014, The Economist recognized him with their annual Innovation Award. In 2015, Stone's Twitter won an Emmy. He's also a fellow at Oxford University, a filmmaker, and an author. His most recent book is titled Things a Little Bird Told Me. We talk about his journey as an artist, stressing creativity, learning from mistakes, and celebrating the triumph of humanity with a little help from technology. Hope you enjoy. All right. Um, today I have someone very special here with me today um, uh, on the phone calling all the way from San Francisco. Um, Biz Stone. Biz, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Rishi, for having me on the show. So I'm going to dive right in um, with the first question. You've had a remarkable background that brings an eclectic perspective into technology, co-founding Twitter, Jelly, Medium, developing massive scale information networks that really connects human beings with each other. How did you How did you know that this was your calling? Uh, do you consider <laughs> this as your purpose? Well, I guess this. So what I do now, I, I can explain that, that in more detail, but I did not start off thinking that. I started off wanting to be an artist, and I, I actually had a, um, after high school, I got a full scholarship to excellence in the arts, and after about two years, I, it's a funny story how I got this, but I got offered a job designing book jackets at a publishing company, and, um, Basically, everyone, every, everyone in that department had MFAs. So I was thinking to myself, why would I finish school 
would, why would I continue this if I can just work here, which you, you go to school to get the job, and I can apprentice to this art director. So I decided to um, not finish school and instead take this job, which, um, which, which actually was one of the best decisions I ever made because it, in a nutshell what happened was I did apprentice with um, my mentor, Steve Snyder, who I'm, to this day I'm very close with. He's my son's papa and his wife is, is the bubby. And so basically they're his grandparents. And, um, and uh, I apprenticed with him. Uh, he taught me everything he knew about design. I went off on my own, started a design studio for print work. And somebody came to me in the late 90s and I said, hey man, like, I have a budget of $5,000 TV website. And I was like, uh, I was thinking to myself, like, I have no idea how to do that, but it's $5,000. So I said, yes, sure, of course you do that. So I got a book on HTML and just did, did a very poor job, but they didn't care because back then it was just like, we just need like three pages about us and the logo and stuff. So started doing that, and then my friends who had gone to college and then into consulting were like, hey, why are we telling people how to run their company? Why are we starting your own thing? You're like a web guy. Like, we should start a web company. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a web guy. So all of a sudden, I became like an accidental technologist, and we created an early social blogging platform called Zanga.com, X-A-N-G-A.com, which is a very bad name. You should never have to explain the company. It's like a joke. If you have to explain it, it's bad. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, that's what got me into tech. And then uh, I left Zanga because I didn't like the way the culture was going. And I was too green to realize I could have worked to change it. And I was immediately sorry. And, and then I got a job working at Wellesley College. Um, and I, I was super, super excited about the potential of blogging. I wasn't understanding why everyone else wasn't like, freaking out about it like I was. Because I was like, look, you don't need to know how to code and you can have a voice on the web. This is a, like a revolution. This is huge. And I, was, I spent a year at Wellesley College teaching teachers how to use blogging um, in, their, in, in, in their teaching process. And then... By, you know, like several strokes of luck, I got invited to work at Google in 2003, and that sort of cemented my, my place in tech because it was like, it was like you were automatically a genius if you were an early Google employee. So, uh, I left Google because Evan Williams left Google and I wanted to. I keep working with them. They started Odia, which is a podcasting thing, which was way, way too early, like a decade too early. Um, didn't work out, but we hired Jack Dorsey, and I became really friendly with him. And when we decided to do a hack week because Odia wasn't working, we paired up and we made Twitter. And that's the history, as they say. So that's sort of how I got from artist to technology and and some sometimes i think maybe i could say i'm still an artist because my art is creating the canvas for other people to create art but that's kind of a stretch i see i mean uh, that was a wonderful wonderful way to put it because um i recently read your book um i highly recommend everyone 
um, Reed Bistone's book called Things a Little Bird Told Me. And and you really go in detail about your life experiences there um, and really sort of give an insight into how Twitter started, all your experiences from, um, you know, switching your Toyota Corolla to Toyota Matrix is something I drive. Um, I, I highly recommend it. So uh, moving on to my next question. Um, uh, the recent stat I read somewhere, a mind-boggling 330 million um, average users for Twitter uh, a month. Uh, it's a service really that empowers and gives voice to the voiceless. What's one thing you learned about the world after co-founding Twitter? Something that you know others wouldn't necessarily know. Um, well, I've learned, I've learned a lot from pretty much everything I've done. And one, one central theme that I've been thinking about lately is we are all people and we pretty much have all of the same problems and the same things go wrong with our bodies and the same same things in our life. And, you know, like, um, when I worked at Google, they, they used to release this stat and they don't do it anymore, but I remember them telling us that 80% of all search queries are not original. Only 20% are. And it's just not, and that's something that's true, I think, about um, something that I've learned from, from Twitter, too, is we're all just people, and we pretty much have the same basic needs and desires and problems, and uh, and yet everybody thinks, you know, that they're different, and like, that culture is completely different, and you have to So, so you've, you know, going off that question and, and that answer, you've, you, you've said before that Twitter has woven itself into the fabric of our global society, um, which I most definitely agree with. Where do you see Twitter playing a role in creating a better society from your perspective? Well, one of the things that I did when I first came back, which we, we haven't like really marketed heavily inside the company yet uh, or externally, it doesn't really mattered that much externally. What what I realized we didn't have um, was a clearly articulated purpose statement. Like an answer to the question of why why is Twitter here and why do we work on it? And that's something I think every company needs to have so that you can generally be on the same page. And it has to be something, the reason I call it a purpose statement and not a mission statement is missions are just 
are supposed to be completed. Um, a mm. purpose is enduring. It's something that you, like, you'll never finish. So even long after we're gone, the purpose of the company will remain. So with Jack, I created a purpose statement, and that is for Twitter. That is keep the world informed and serve the public conversation. And then when you when you say you're going to serve the public conversation, that that means in my mind um, that you have to take a responsibility for the health of the public conversation. And if you uh, if you're doing that then I'll just, from, we're at that point where we're trying to actually figure that part out, but I'll just skip ahead and say, um, in terms of Twitter's role in the future of society, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a point where this gets hallucinogenically optimistic and eye-rolling, but essentially, um, I would love it for, for everyone. Not, I would love it for everyone to, on Twitter to be, argue like, that's fine. A lot of people should argue, and that's, that's part of life. And um, it's how we learn, it's how we teach each other things. But ideally, if we're focused on health and the public conversation, then to some degree what we're trying to do there is, um, is have, encourage people to argue in a more productive way instead of just throwing mud. Um, and being completely unreceptive. So if they begin to argue in a more productive way, that's great. And then, this is where we start taking leaps of faith. If people begin to uh, argue more productively, maybe they'll have empathy for one another, they'll be able to see the other side and understand that, even though they don't agree with it, understand why that person may have that opinion or attitude and be more accepting of it. And then if that starts to happen, perhaps um, perhaps people then will be able to, as I was mentioning before, start collaborating with one another, even if they disagree with one another on other issues, fundamental issues like religion. Maybe they'll say, oh, it's okay that you think that, and I think this, but we can work together on this space uh, exploration program, whatever it is. Um, and if we have this collaboration, then if we have collaboration of hundreds of millions, if not more, people uh, all over the world, then, like I said, we get to this point where um, people realize that collaborating and working together moves us forward so much faster, and the byproduct of that is that we don't have war, we don't have famine, we don't have massive inequity, we, we're just working together, and we're sort of like, like we all have one flag, and it's just the, the famous blue marble picture of the earth and like we're just hey we're earthling uh, that would be great <laughs> so <laughs> Twitter in my opinion Twitter is obviously not going to like bring about world peace but what I'm trying to get at is um, I see I see our role as serving the public conversation and that means having some kind of responsibility for its health and in some way um, trying to nudge nudge the world towards that future. I mean, in, in, in a tiny way. Um, and hopefully doing it in the open so that others might fall on these. Uh, and so that's what I think, um, and that's the role I think we have to play there. It's just, um, 
you know, like, why would you come work at Twitter? Uh, you'd come work at Twitter for the same amount of money that some other tech company might offer you, but working at Twitter, get, working at Twitter today gives you the ability to have an impact on the conversation like tomorrow, uh, which I think is a very important and noble uh, endeavor. Most definitely. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, that's, that just blew my mind because, you know, I've been a big, big Twitter, um, big Twitter fan using it for a few years, uh, about six, I think. Um, and to see the evolution really occurring and with which, how, how you put it now, I think it's credible. And, and really thank you for sharing that. I want to, I want to switch gears now, um, into a little bit of your background, um, throughout your career, you've really been surrounded by the right people, you know, whether it's been Jack Dorsey, Ev Williams, or other big investors while you're working on different ventures. How did you build your personal networks and what role has this environment played in your success? Oh, it's, it's everything. The people, the, people, the other people have everything. Um, I, uh, and for them, I'm the other person, you know? But it's funny. This is a weird thing to, to have happen, but, um, well, maybe not to me. When I was in high school, uh, um, a girl showed me a painting she did in art class. I was in, I was in the same art class. She said, what do you think of my painting? And honestly, I thought it was a terrible painting. So I said, <laughs> this is a terrible painting. It's a terrible painting. It's, it's a mess. It's like, it's all drippy and out of proportion and like, uh, aesthetically displeasing to me. <laughs> like, I just told, I just told the bluntest truth. And then I saw how, um, how that made her feel, and then I felt horrible. And then that evening, I said to myself, "You know what? I'm just going to be nice to everyone from now on. If that means telling a white lie, so be it. But I'm going to be nice to everybody." And um, that totally worked. Like it, everything changed. Like just being extra nice to everybody was like uh, had this cumulative effect of um, attracting people to me and. Um, and also, like, and also, I generally value humor a lot, so making people laugh, being nice, and it really led to me being able to, and also being open, just being really open to, um, friendship and, and, um, collaboration, and, uh, so what I, what I just generally do, I, you know, I don't, I never really, like, wrote it down as a principle for my life but what I generally do is I'm I guess I'm kind of always on the lookout for um, good people that are also great people uh, that are also smarter than me um, that are and that also uh, the flip side is that like maybe I can help them in some way or I can compliment them in some way like I'm strong or they're weak they're uh, they're strong or I'm weak and uh and that's been true ever since I, I dropped out of school to work with Steve Snyder, who became my mentor. Um, and, uh, and then when I, um, when I went to Google, it was because I wanted to work with Adam Williams because I had been reading his blog. Intellectually, I was like, I really like this guy. He's, he's the only other person I think who's, who's as big on this stuff as I am. And, um, and so when his two years ran out at Google, when Google acquired Blogger, and and when that happened, um, 
when the two years were up for Ev, he left. And I thought, well, why did I come out here? Did I come out here to work at Google or did I come out here to work with Evan? Um, it's funny because I grew up on welfare and I was in debt my entire adult life. And, and so Twitter went public. Um, uh, I left, even though I could have been a millionaire, I, I left Google without, with, without regret because I knew that, um, I knew that, I knew the answer was that I moved out to California to work in Illinois. So it was, the answer was clear. So we started ODO together and then, and then we hired Jack Dorsey and then Jack and I became friends and, and then it was time for Hack Week to make Twitter like I was talking about before. So it was always about, finding good people that were also great and um, we we're a good match. And I think that's like one of the most important things you can possibly do in life. And it's not just work, obviously, it's, you know, finding the right partner for life and all that sort of thing. Yeah, no, uh, great stuff. I mean, um, just reading your book, it was, it was really like a journey. Um, switching gears um, a little bit at a faster pace. Um, Biz isn't really your birth name. Um, I think it's Christopher. Like, would love to get the story on how this name came about. Yeah, my full name is Christopher Isaac Stone. Um, what happened was, uh, when I was a little kid, about two years old, and I was trying to say Christopher, I said Bizzerber. And so my, my mother and my two sisters and my father at the time thought that was, they all thought that was funny. So they called me Bizzerber for a little while, and then they just called me Biz. And so in, in my house, I was called Biz all the time. And then my parents were divorced, and my, and my mother told me, um, I, I was named after my father. So my mother told me she never wants to hear that name again to tell, uh, um, to tell my teacher in school that, and this was like when I was very young, you know, like, even preschool. Um, I'm supposed to say my name is just Isaac Stone, even though my home, my family called it this. Um, so I was either Isaac Stone or Bizzerber, but I was never Christopher Stone. Like, if someone were to yell, like, Christopher, look out, the piano's going to fall on you, I'd be like, that guy's screwed. You know, <laughs> I just, I never went by that name. So, um, and it, but it was a little bit confusing because I was Isaac Stone in school and I was Biz at home. And then I think it was like the third grade and I had a birthday party and somebody, like one of my sisters called me Biz and then the other kids heard that and they're like, what? And then so they started calling me Biz at school and then everybody forgot about the Isaac and called me Biz. And, um, and that was it. I was Biz Stone. Uh, forever. My wife thinks I should just legally change my name to Biz Stone because it gets really confusing with <laughs> passports and stuff, you know? That's super interesting. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, so sure. your your personal stories has been, you know, it's really been inspiring, you know. Um, and I read somewhere that you were inspired, not somewhere, I read in your book that you were inspired by Willie Coyote from the Looney Tunes. Um, you've, oh, yeah. You've overcome some tough days. Um is that why, you know, was it that Willie Coyote was so persistent um, in, in going after the roadster? Uh, no, it wasn't really like that. It was more like, um, you know, I used to watch those cartoons when I was a kid. And um, there was one weird sort of crossover 
Wiley Coyote episode where he met Bugs Bunny. And it's the only one in which Wiley Coyote ever speaks. And um, it is this, this weird situation where um, Bugs Bunny, not that I'm getting on the call, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, anyway, what, what happens is Bugs Bunny knocks on Wiley Coyote's door, and uh, or the other way around, something. And Wiley Coyote gives him his business card, and he says, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Wiley Coyote, genius. And it just says, that's all it says in the card, is Wiley Coyote, genius. And I, so I thought that was funny. When, I, when, when, I, when it came time to create a blog, uh, I was think, trying to think of a title. I thought of that cartoon, so I, I created, I, I named my blog Bizstone Genius, and everybody who knew me knew that was a joke, but like, I'm sure some people thought I was a big jerk, like self, self-proclaimed genius. But it, what it did for me was it gave me this sort of alter ego, almost like a Tony Stark figure. You know, I was like, I would write things in my blog, like, okay, at Genius Labs today, we're investigating... Uh, lighter than air crashed, um, and we're going to be putting millions into our Japanese fleet, and or and I'll just make up all this stuff. And um, I think there are some people who actually thought I had a company called Genius Labs that was immensely wealthy, but um, it wasn't true. It was, a, it was a total alter ego. But that alter ego actually helped me in some cases. Like when I was to get the job at Google, Larry and Sergey, uh, Evan wanted me to work there. Evan Williams. He wanted to bring me on just after the blogger acquisition. And Larry and Sergey are like, are you kidding me? The, the guy doesn't even have a... We're hiring PhDs in computer science. And this guy didn't even get a degree from the university at all. Um, and Ev was persistent. And then Larry and Sergey said, okay, fine. We'll leave it up to Wayne Rosen, who was the director of engineering at the time. And they were like, if Wayne likes him, then you can have him. And... Uh, it all came down to just a phone call, and I was super nervous, waiting by the phone for it to ring, and as it rang, sort of at the last minute, I was like, I'm just going to be the guy from the blog. Like, I'm just going to be ridiculously confident. Mm. Um, and uh, not to a point where I was a jerk, but, you know, I was I was like, so Wayne, where do you live? Uh, and he was like, what? And he was sort of taking it back, and I was like, yeah, because it's not to move out there to take this job I, you know I'd like to live in a nice neighborhood where, where do you and so and then I explained to him like hey the reason I dropped out was because I saw an opportunity to apprentice and I started a company and that didn't work out and I think he disrespected the life experience and so I I guess I got the thumbs up back in that review and that's what brought me out to California in 2003 so it was all kind of just this quick naming of the blog um, based on that cartoon, and then and then an alter ego coming about, and then the alter ego kind of becoming useful at some stages. And it's funny because uh, I did a pretend press release when I went to when I went to work at Google. Mm. It was obviously it was obviously a fake press release. It was a blog post, but it it was like uh, it, I announced. That Genius Labs was being acquired by Google, <laughs> and I, I explained that it was a one-man blogging company or something like that. And um, 
And then what happened was somebody put that into Wikipedia, and then somebody at the New York Times decided to create a list of how many companies have been acquired by Google so far, because it was still early and it was only like three, and one of them was me. One of them said Genius Lab. And then once the New York Times wrote that piece, then the Wikipedia had a legitimate citation, so it stayed in Wikipedia, and then, and now every every time there's a list published of Google's acquisitions, Genius Labs is like on there as the third or fourth (laughs) acquisition. So... That's awesome. Um, so, and then the last few questions here. Are we good on time? Yeah, we're good. I think my earphones are uh, losing their battery soon. So, uh, <laughs> that's uh, all. That's I'll wrap it up fast. Um, if if I were to pass you a microphone, pun intended, um, to pass a message to the graduating class of 2018, um, what would it be? In fact, to all the millennials. Um, there's a lot I would say, but if I had to really boil it down, um, to a couple things, I would say, you know, I would say that being kind to everyone has, like, really pays off. And I would also stress the importance of humor, right? Humor as a delivery mechanism for truth, and humor as a way to get through some tough times in life. I mean, it's just really important that you, 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 know, you develop your sense of humor. Um, I just think it's, it's not just a good, good coping mechanism, it's also just a great, like I said, uh, I, I think it's like the secret delivery mechanism for truth because when you really, when you really want to know somebody, um, humor, humor is a good way to go. I like that. And then what tangible advice would you give to people today in their 20s um, wanting to make an impact on the world? Well, I would say that most people do it wrong. Uh, most people think they should wait until they feel quote-unquote comfortable, they have enough money, and then they can give some of that money to a charity, which is backwards way of doing it. What What's really true is that there is a compound impact in altruism. And the earlier you get started, no matter how small your contribution, whether it's even $5 or volunteering um, one day a, a month, the earlier you get started doing that, over time, you'll have had massive impact at very little cost. And, um, and not only that, it feels good. And, and, it, and it, it makes you a more confident person. So I, I would say you know, don't wait on, you know, contributing your part to making your community or the world um, just a little bit better in some way. Mm. And then last two questions, 30 seconds. Um, if you could describe yourself in one hashtag. Um, I guess I would say... Uh, That's a tough question, huh? This is, it's an overused word, but I would say empathetic. Okay, I like that. And then, so you're back at Twitter now. Um, and what what really is your vision right now? I mean, that's really why I started this podcast and, and trying to understand people's visions. I mean, you've had an incredible career in life thus far, but, you know, the way I see it, I think it's only getting started. So what would you say your vision is right now? Well, my, I think my vision for Twitter right now is... is well, there's two things. One, it's articulated in the purpose statement, which is keep the world informed and 
means serve as in service, like serving your country or you know, like a utility and something like that. But I, I really want to get this the whole company think thinking more more along the lines of service to our customers. How can we serve them best? And how can our service be the best service it can be? So there's that. Um, and then there's the other thing which I forgot. Um, what was I gonna say? Um, shoot. That's well, okay. there, there was another thing I was, I was gonna say about that, and I totally forgot. Oh well, one one thing is certainly like uh, the vision for Twitter is to um, serve the world and keep the world informed and serve the public conversation. And then I had another, and I totally forgot what it was, and I'm blanking. Biz followed up and said, the third thing was, any company worth its salt has at least one fundamental value. If that plus principled purpose and meaning doesn't exist, then it won't last. That's anyway, okay. Um, and anytime you think uh, we'll be able to edit tweets? Maybe. Uh, the, thing about, the, the, the thing about that is it's just, um, it's so boring. Editing <laughs> tweets um, is actually true. like it, it will t- it, it'll take we estimate about nine months of engineering time. Um, I know that sounds like a lot, but there's there's all kinds of things tied to edit to editing, and um, it's just not a high enough priority given the other things that we need to build and do. And so it just constantly gets hunted on. And and that includes whether or not we should even do it. Like so, there's just not enough people. That, first of all, it's like not high enough priority. Second of all, um, there's not enough people that feel strongly enough about it. So it's just I don't know where when that's ever gonna come to pass. There's ever we'll see. Well, you know, I really appreciate that, and and thanks so much, Biz, um, for for um, for for. Answering my cold email, to say the least. I mean, uh, it, it's it's been a dream, honestly. It, it's it's crazy. So thanks a lot. No, it's my pleasure. Maybe we maybe we reconnect in a year and see if um see if we've gotten um if we've gotten anywhere with uh, keeping the public conversation healthier. Yeah. That was Biz Stone, co-founder of Twitter, Medium, Jelly, and Obvious Corporations. We really hope. You enjoyed that? Thank you for joining us on this journey. Please like us on Facebook at Vision of the People Podcast. And do give your thoughts to me at Lil Rushi Shaw on Twitter on who I should have next on the show. If you found this insightful or interesting, share it with someone that could find this helpful. As Mahatma Gandhi once said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. Till next time, keep striving. Keep striving.